Little Detours with Regina Breton, where we help you create a life you love out of the life you have. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Regina Brett. Interrupted by God. That's how Tracy Lynn describes her life. The biggest interruption came in 1984 at a McDonald's on 42nd Street in New York City. A conversation with God changed and shaped her life for good and forever. That's where she began her dance with God, a God she calls her dancing partner. And what a dance it has been. For 17 years, from 2000 to 2017, Tracy served as Dean of Trinity Episcopal Cathedral, a thriving and diverse urban congregation, a center for arts and music, a gathering place for those devoted to Cleveland and its future. The very Reverend Tracy Lynn was one of the most vibrant preachers in Cleveland and possibly in the country. Her ministry included work for social and environmental justice, interfaith relations, sustainable urban development, and progressive theology. She also led the establishment of Greater Cleveland Congregations and numerous faith-based and civic initiatives. Tracy is the author of the book, Interrupted by God, Glimpses from the Edge. And then three years ago, a diagnosis of dementia interrupted her life, or perhaps just changed the music to her dance with God. Tracy, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Regina, for having me. It's great to be with you. Well, I'm so glad you could join us. And I love running into you every so often. I see you walking around the lake and I'm like, that's got to be Tracy. You've got a look about you. It's kind of like a halo glow, I think. Well, it's been fun, especially during this pandemic, to see you and Bruce as we do those daily walks around that beautiful Shaker Lakes. And I'm very grateful to you for cleaning up so much around it. Well, I love to get out there with my trash bags and collect litter. Tracy, you handed me your business card, and I love that on the back of it, it reads, please be patient. I have frontotemporal dementia and may have trouble speaking. Repeat questions. Forget what you've told me. Take longer to make a decision. Get startled, anxious, or confused. So I just want to make sure up front that you are completely comfortable. If any of those things happen in our conversation, if you need me to pause or ask me to repeat anything, it's going to be just part of our dance. Okay. Okay. And I just love that you have that card because um, my mom in her later years had Alzheimer's and I always wished I had something to kind of show people when they dealt with her that sometimes her brain was completely fine. And other times there were just these gaps. And I, I almost wish I could hold something up so they could treat her a little kinder, a little more gently. How have people responded to you? Well, you know, let me tell you about the card in the first place. After I got diagnosed, which, by the way, was Election Day 2016, I had been out in the morning that day doing get out the vote and uh, poll monitoring with Greater Cleveland Congregations. And I I quietly excused myself because uh, uh, I had a doctor's appointment at the Cleveland Clinic. And so I met Emily, my beloved spouse, at the clinic and the doctor said, well, the good news is that you, we have ruled out Alzheimer's for now, though you're carrying the Alzheimer's gene. But the bad news is you have something called frontotemporal degeneration. It's short for FTD. It has nothing to do with flowers. And we didn't know what it was. I mean, yeah, we had no idea. And he explained to the two of us that it, it was the frontotemporal lobes of the brain. It generally affects people um, in midlife, 40s to 60s. 
the statistical life expectancy is on the average of seven to 10 years after diagnosis. And eventually I would lose the ability to communicate, to, to use and understand language. And I was, we were stunned. I was stunned. Uh, it made sense. Everything he explained to me made sense to what I was experiencing. And so eventually I went to a conference put on by the Association for Frontotemporal Degeneration, AFTD. And um, I saw people with these, these cards. And I thought, oh, that's what I need. Because so often you can't even tell I have it, but it'll be at a really critical moment in time, like standing in a TSA line or dealing with a bank or um, asking for directions or something like that. And if I get at all nervous or anxious, I can't find words and I, and I, and I, and I start to stutter and, and I freeze up and I can go into a panic. So we came up with this business card that when we were working with the contractors, I would show it to on our house. I would show them the card and say, remember, I have a hard time sometimes. People have been extraordinarily kind. I think the, the hardest part of it all is because I have such a deep well of language, they call it in the, the field cognitive reserve. I have a lot of that because I've used language my whole life. People don't see this. In the early stages of, of dementia, especially FTD and Alzheimer's, only those closest to you, seeing you on a daily basis, will see what's happening because we can keep it together in the public. So for me, the hardest part is when people say, well, you seem just fine, you know, and, and that sense of denial then confuses me. I never thought of that when the, that people's reaction when they want to be positive and say everything's okay does confuse you because you have, you're experiencing it so differently than they are. Right. And, and what can happen is, is that I can then go into a place of denial which if I do that, it's really unhealthy for me. Or as Emily will say, you know, I've been known to ask her several times during the day, are you sure I have this? Are, are, you, are you positive? And then poor Emily is put in the position of saying, Tracy, yeah, you, you have it. You, you've got to deal with it. Tracy, what were the first symptoms? What was the, what was the what? first clue that something was off? What were the early symptoms? Um, I, I, I stopped being able to recognize uh, faces um, and, and recall names that I knew well. I found myself searching for words a lot. I stopped being able to speak sort of spontaneously the way I used to. I started getting confused with my calendar. <laughs> I would show up at the wrong place or the wrong time. And then there was this one day where um, I, 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 I walked into a restroom and I didn't recognize my own face oh. in a mirror. And that scared the daylights out of me. And that's when I called a really dear friend of mine at the clinic and said, you know, I, I, I need to see somebody. I need to see somebody now. I didn't even call my own doctor. I didn't even tell Emily. I, call, I called a friend and just said, please, you got to help me out here. 
So you went from somebody who, I mean, I've heard you speak and the command you have and the language and the audience and like you, you had such a powerful presence, especially with your voice. I wonder if it feels kind of like, almost like, what is going on here, God? You gave me this great gift and are you taking it away? I've never felt that. Um, I've never been upset with God. I've been frightened. I've been sad. I've been angry. I've asked myself, what did I do wrong at times? But my sense of God is not a God that makes bad things happen to good people. My sense of God has always been and continues to be a God who is right here in the muck with me and walks with me and helps me figure out what to do with whatever situation I find myself in. It's not God's fault that I, that I got FTD. It's genetic, it's environmental, it's toxicity, it's stress, it's lifestyle, but it's not of God. But God can help me figure out what to do. I did think it was ironic that for one of the most extroverted verbal people, even I know, uh, and, and loud, that that was going away. And something new was being born, you know? That's a lovely way to look at it. Something new being born. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a next chapter. And, and some great things have been coming out of it. Some really hard things, but some really good things. And, and that's what I'm hoping will be to the bitter end. And I think, I think that's, that's also part of aging, you know, that, that the life we knew as young adults and as middle-aged adults, it begins to shift as older adults. And, and it's hard to believe that people like you and me, Regina, you know, we're becoming older adults. And you've got to be willing to let things go and to find, to find new, new pleasures, new activities, new strengths, but holding on maybe to the same values, the core, that doesn't change. Yeah, I think there's kind of a surrender that you face as you age because you're powerless over so much of even your own body and what you used to be able to do or your eyesight. I mean, my grandkids joke that they want to teach me Braille so I can read without my reading glasses because <laughs> I have to wear them all the time. You know, and they're little and they don't understand. But that sense of powerlessness on a different level or that life is changing ways that you can never go back to that youthful you. So how do you reach an no, acceptance? I want to. That's well, when I, you know, the prayer, the prayer that I say pretty much every day is that serenity prayer. Uh, for me, addiction has never been an issue, but I think the spirituality of the 12-step program, especially that serenity prayer of God, grant me the serenity to accept the things, that I, accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the, the difference. That prayer applies so much to living with early stage dementia, because there are things that I, I can't change. I can't change this diagnosis. However, there are things that I can and I have changed about how I live and walk and be in this world. And the challenge always is to be able to recognize that which I can't change and that which I can change. You know, I always say, 
I still drive, but I don't drive a lot. I, I'm not a good driver anymore. I shouldn't say that on air. Um, <laughs> I haven't had any accidents. I'm a careful driver, but but I recognize that there will come a time where I shouldn't drive. And I want to give that up before I put myself or somebody else at risk because of my own stubbornness. Um, so that's that's part of that serenity. One of the routines, you ask uh, me to think about routines, and one of my big routines is called SHIELD. Uh, Robert Tanzi of uh, Harvard Medical School uh, coined the, the word SHIELD, the, the acronym, and it stands for sleep, handle stress, socially interact, exercise, learn new things, and diet. And what they're learning is that that shield protocol as a way of life is a really important way of life for brain health. And so change the things I I can change. Um, I've changed all of those things in the last four years, all of them, every one of them. And when I slip up, my brain health, my brain function slides. So there's an example. That's really beautiful. And Tracy, the idea of calling it your brain health, I don't think we ever think about that our brain has a healthy, you know, we think about a heart being healthy, you know, our body physically being able to run or walk, but our brain health, I love that shield. I'm going to, I'm going to check myself on those, those uh, different elements. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's good for diabetes. It's good for, uh, for heart health. It's good for cancer. It's good for us. And what's good for the heart is good for the brain. And one of the frustrations you, you asked me earlier about this people not always seeing that I have it and trying to compliment me. If, if I had had a heart attack and, you know, I lost 50 pounds and I got in shape and I was doing really well, or if, if I had cancer and I went through really horrible chemotherapy, um, and, and I did go through some pretty horrible um, detox of heavy metals in my body. Uh, so I have a little sense of what that's about. If I did any of those things, people would say, yay, you're doing a great job. But they wouldn't deny the reality. And when people are trying to get brain healthy, that's where that denial comes in. But shield, sleep. Handle stress, or for me, it means eliminate stress. If I sense that there's something stressful in my way, I get out of the way. I, in fact, I say to people, I'm sorry, I can't do that. That's too stressful for my brain. Wow, that, that is so really powerful. powerful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Social interaction. I mean, that's been the, was the hardest part of the quarantine for me. Uh, the stay-at-home order, and, and that's why when we saw each other walking, you often saw me walking with a different person because I need social interaction every day. I need a lot of it, uh, and I had to find safe ways to do it, and I still do during this pandemic. And then learn new things. It's really important for the brain to keep that elasticity going by learning. Obviously, exercise. I thought I exercised a lot. The reality was I always put it second. And finally, diet. I mean, we all know about diet. And we all know about sleep. You know, the, 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 the Huffington, Mrs. Ms. Huffington, 
did this whole thing on acknowledging that she was struggling psychologically and physiologically because of the lack of sleep, the doctor said, getting good sleep. Well, thank you for those tips, Tracy. Those are great. You talked a little bit about uh, some of the fear and frustration. And I wonder, you know, this disease, this dementia will progress. What are your fears around it? And how do you, how do you handle the fears of the future? Oh, gosh. I, I guess I have uh, three. One is uh, being lonely, that as the disease progresses, that and as I withdraw from public life, that people will forget about me just because they'll get busy. I mean, everybody promises that, oh, I'll come over and see you and sit on your front porch or I'll, I'll go for a walk with you. But we all know life, life interrupts, right? So I'm fearful of that. I've done the best I can of lining up a group of friends who have promised to be there for me. And Emily knows who they are, but that's, that's a fear. Um, another fear is not being able to stay home. Um, if the pandemic has taught me anything, it's while I'm on the board of a retirement community, while I spend a lot of my energy working for quality memory care facilities, I don't want to go to one. I, I want to be home. Uh, I, I want us to figure out how to help people with dementia and aging brains to stay in our homes for as long as possible. And the last one is they say there will probably, if I follow the normal course of this disease, there will probably come a time when I can't swallow. And I, I hope I have the courage to live into my advanced directive that says, when, I, when I'm not able to swallow, please let me go. Don't, don't force feed me. Don't give me a feeding tube. Don't try to spoon feed me. Let me go. And my fear is I'm not a very good dieter. Um, so that I hope when I can't swallow, I won't want to eat, and therefore I can go quickly. Those sure. are my three fears. Thank you for sharing those. Those, those are very powerful and I'm just amazed that you can still laugh and smile through all of this, facing such difficulties that you already have, but knowing that it's not going to get better, but that you seem to have like a, a I don't know, like a serenity about the whole thing. Well, yeah, and two things. Um, what, a few things. One is I really have a pretty powerful faith that I really believe that in God I live and move and have my being. And the sense of who that God is shifts and changes and morphs over times. But it's the, the divine spirit of love and creativity. So I know on that level, I won't be alone. Um, secondly, I know that my attitude is about the only thing I can control about this, my spirit. And that I really believe i'm trying to remember who it was that wrote out of the holocaust the very famous um psychologist uh victor maybe yeah victor Frankl. and and, and basically he said you know they can take away your name they can take away your freedom they can take away your possessions they can take away your life but they can't take away your spirit that is for you to give away and I just, I made a decision 
that I was going to do the best I could at keeping my spirit intact. Um, I don't always do that. I mean, Emily will tell you there are days when it's not great, but I, I take myself back to that place. And, 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 and I rely a lot on the wisdom of, of Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama and the book of joy they wrote um, that I've tried to understand FTD as a gift, a gift I would have never asked for, but a gift nonetheless, and to try to find joy in that gift. Or the Dalai Lama put it this way. He thought of his exile as an opportunity to get closer to life. And I think of getting an early onset dementia diagnosis as an opportunity to get closer to life. Wow, that is beautiful, Tracy. Well, Tracy, we're at the halfway mark already. I just want to pause and thank you for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett and to our guest, Tracy Lynn. I know you have many podcast choices, and I'm grateful you chose to listen to mine. Tracy, I want to go back to that moment at McDonald's, way back in 1984, your conversation with God. I love that it was at a McDonald's. That's so American. Tell us about that. Uh, you a bit of your spiritual journey. You had a kind of a, a wonky childhood. Your mom was a skeptical Protestant and your dad was reformed Jew. And you were sort of caught in the middle of teaching your doll, preaching your doll, dolls as a rabbi and as a, as a minister. What was it like for you growing yeah. up with that mix? Well, I think it was, it was challenging. You know, it was the 1960s. Uh, it was the suburbs in Columbus, Ohio. I think assimilation was probably a very high priority for both my father and my mother, um, and they happened to fall in love in 1948, only, you know, four years after the liberation of the camps. My Jewish father falls in love with um, my uh, Gentile mother, and, you know, they have to make their way in the world, and so, you know, they raised my brother and up and I up to do the same. And, and I was, as some people used to say, religiously inclined. I was always curious about God and, and from a very young age thought I wanted to be, at first I wanted to be a rabbi because I was raised primarily in the Jewish community of uh, Bexley and Eastmore in Columbus, Ohio. And, and I would say, I'm going to be a rabbi. And people would say, well, you can't be a rabbi. Your mother's not Jewish. And in any way, you're a girl. Okay. And then I went to a, a girl's school uh, where most of my classmates were good Protestants, mainly Episcopalians. And I started playing my guitar in a uh, uh, folk mass in the local Episcopal church. And I would sit there thinking, oh, maybe, maybe I'll be a minister. That would make sense. Um, it actually, actually my, my grandfather was a, a lay pastor and a bunch of my cousins, in fact, are ministers on my mother's side. So I thought, well, okay, I'll do that. And then people would say, well, you, you can't be a minister. I mean, after all, you, you know, your dad's Jewish, you're not baptized and, and you're a girl. So I sort of put it out of my mind and just said, all right, I can't do either. And decided I would become a community planner and a community organizer. And it wouldn't go away. It just wouldn't let me go. So I went to Union Theological Seminary in New York City to try to figure it out. 
and Union was right across the street from Jewish Theological Seminary. So I was, you know, hedging my bets. And by this point, I was really, I, I sort of had found a home in the Episcopal Church, but there was still this, this uncertainty. And I used to say, you know, Jesus was the only rabbi who ever really fully accepted me for who I was. I mean, I didn't, I couldn't help who my parents were, right? And interfaith identity and intermarriage has been a complicated issue in this country for a long time. And, and now it's got very different take. And Regina, you understand something about all of that. So anyhow, I was, it was a winter day. It was the day before second semester and I was ready to um, drop out of seminary. I thought this is way too confusing. I can't do this. And I was walking down the street to see my spiritual director. We all had to see a spiritual director. And I just said, you know, to the air, when are you going to let go of me? Right. And this voice said, I'm not. And I said, what do you want with me? And this voice said, your life. And I thought, oh man, I'm in serious trouble. Now I'm hearing voices. So I went into a McDonald's. It was right in front of me. And I went in and I ordered my usual all-American meal, cheeseburger, French fries, and a small Coke. And I sat down at a table and I took out a pad of paper and I started writing out this remarkable conversation between me and this voice. And I wrote T for Tracy and G for the voice. And the voice named a lot of who I was, the, the stuff inside of me that, that only I knew, my challenges, uh, my fears, my thoughts, called me to vocation, reassured me when I protested. And at one point I said, well, why are you talking to me? And the voice said, because you've been asking for it. You've been asking for some clarity about your identity and your vocation for years. And the voice said in words I will never forget. What's special about me is I'm inside of everybody. And if everybody would listen to my voice and follow it, then my kingdom on earth would come. Now, you can change that language to say my commonwealth or the beloved community or shalom, however you want to say it. And that's who God is for me. God is that voice that's inside of us, but outside of us, inviting us all into walking a higher path that brings peace and justice and love and mercy and kindness. So I said, okay. I said, what do you want me to do? And the voice said, go home and cook dinner. So I did. <laughs> and I didn't tell anybody about it for a long time. For me, long time was like a week. And then I began to share with some of my professors what I had heard. And, and a brilliant German professor, Dorte Zola, said, faith is a two-way street. It's a gift from God, and it's a decision to accept the gift. And I thought, man, I'm never going to get a clearer message. So either I have to say, you know, God doesn't exist, or I got I to gotta follow this voice. And I've done that now faithfully for... Um, I can't do the math. Nearly 40 years, I guess. Yeah. 
my friends in recovery say, God's either everything or nothing. So I'm going with the everything. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'd rather say God is everything than nothing. And the voices led me some to remarkable places, to the South Bronx, where, you know, I got to work it, with a whole bunch of Episcopal churches made up primarily of uh, new immigrants, um, to the suburbs of New Jersey, where, where I began my ordained ministry, to Patterson, New Jersey, the great industrial city founded by Alexander Hamilton. And I got to be in the midst of this incredible community of people from all over the world trying to, to build uh, the beloved community in a very poor city. And then back to Cleveland, where I've been ever since. Now, when you were in Patterson, you came out as a gay priest. That was a huge step. Yeah, I, I had always been honest about that um, through the whole ordination process through my entire career. I, I've always been honest. I, I don't do really well in closets. I'm a little <laughs> too extroverted for closets. But there, there was a heresy trial where one of our bishops was being tried for ordaining an openly gay man. And I, um, I said, you know, in the old Holly Near song, it could have been me, but instead it was you. And I thought, what, what's happening here could have, could have happened to me and to the bishop that ordained me, but instead it happened to my friend Barry and Bishop Walter, who ordained him. And I thought, this is ridiculous. So I said, we all, we who are gay and lesbian clergy need to stand up with Gary. He can't, or Barry, he can't take the brunt by himself. And so I wrote a letter to my congregation and the bishop and standing committee, you know, the judicatory and said, I, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this. I mean, yes, you all know that I'm a lesbian, but I've never made a big deal of it in the pulpit. And I'm going to talk about it because we got to make witness. Was it happened? One of my parishioners was the publisher of the local newspaper. And she said, you might not think this is a big deal, but this is a big deal. And so either you will voluntarily do an interview with us or we will cover it anyway. So after some consultation, we agreed to kind of release the story to them. And the next thing I knew, I was driving on the Cross Bronx Expressway, listening to 1010 radio. And all of a sudden I heard on the radio, lesbian priest in Patterson, New Jersey comes out from the pulpit. And I practically ran off the highway. Uh, and then it was front page news. And it felt to the world a much bigger deal than it felt to me. Because I thought, well, they all know anyway. I'm just talking about it. But what I learned is that talking about something is very different from just being that something. Don't you think you also freed other people by, by having that come public? People who have been in a closet, who haven't felt safe enough to really be who they are publicly in the world with their family and friends. Do you feel like you being more public has kind of opened that closet for others? Um, yeah, I think to some degree it has. I also think that it's, it's opened other doors. You know, I joke that maybe I have dementia because I hit my head on the stained glass ceiling one too many times. Um, I was nominated for bishop a number of times and was not elected. And, and a wise old bishop named Barbara Harris, who was the first woman ever to become a bishop in the United States, African-American woman, 
said to me one day in the early days of this process, she said, Tracy, are you prepared to open doors that others will walk through? And I said to her, you know, Barbara, I don't think that's my vocation. And she kind of smiled at me and said, well, I think it might be. So you better get ready for that. And in the end, that's what it's turned out to be. That was my vocation, was to open the doors that lots of others now have walked through. That's beautiful. Trace, we just have a couple of minutes. I, I want to mention in your farewell letter to your con- congregation, you said, you quoted Ecclesiastes, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. That was in your farewell. I wonder, what is the season now for you? When you think of your season and your purpose now for Tracy Lynn? Well, I think it's a, a couple of things. One is that uh, I am trying to be one of those voices of people living with dementia, trying to A, make sense of it, and B, destigmatize it and help people be less fearful of it. So uh, I do that through speaking, public speaking, and, and through my writing. And I do that in partnership with Emily. We talk about is dementia from the inside out, and as she says, the upside down. So that's a big piece of the work. We were came to kind of a screeching halt uh, in March with the pandemic because we we've been traveling the world for the past three years, but now we're finding new ways to do it, like everybody else. Um, secondly, I'm working on my photography, and I, I do have a photography show opening. Uh, in September at the Foothills Gallery right here in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. And it will also be a virtual exhibit, which is something else we're learning to do. And it's my abstract photographs, looking at it through uh, the eyes of erosion. It's called eroding beauty and trying to find beauty in environmental erosion, in the erosion of the the built landscape, uh, the erosion of our civil society, and the erosion of my own brain. And so I'm working on my photography and I'm trying to live by the shield. I'm trying to stay healthy. I'm trying to enjoy life. And I'm also working on a book. So I guess I'm pretty busy still. <laughs> You're doing more than most people at the height of their careers. My goodness, that's wonderful. Well, Tracy, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And you do have a website. I'll put a link to that on my um, podcast page at reginabrett.com. And at, on your website, people can also find your photo exhibit and read some of your blog posts. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, my biggest takeaway is that shield because I don't even give myself permission to sleep. I feel like, Oh, there's somebody that needs this or I better stay up or I'm constantly draining myself to the very bottom. And I wouldn't do that to my car. I would never drive on empty, but I'd drive me on empty. So thank you for that shield. And that's what I learned. So it's really important. That was great. And you still owe me a walk. I do. I owe you many walks. Oh, do walk. So I want to ask you the question I ask all my guests. What's the very best thing you do for yourself every day to create a life you love out of the life you have? I think the very best thing that I do nearly every day is uh, a morning cup of coffee in the hot tub with Emily as we talk about the day ahead. And it's the one time where neither of us can um, multitask. So I think that's, that's probably the most special thing I do today. I love that. No phones in the hot tub. <laughs> no phones in the hot tub. Well, Tracy, Tracy Lynn, thank you so much. Thank you for your beautiful story. And I can't wait to see how the rest of your life unfolds. 
Thanks, Regina. I look forward to seeing you in person soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett. If you want to know more about today's guest and topic, head to my podcast page at reginabrett.com. There you can also subscribe to my email newsletter so you never miss an opportunity to be inspired. For more episodes, you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review my show so we can reach and inspire even more people. Thanks for joining us today. Now go make something possible.